Today's lesson comes from the sixth chapter of Galatians, beginning in the first verse. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity to everyone, and especially to those who are of faith, this is the word of the Lord. Consider uh, this letter to the church in Galatia, to the church in Albuquerque. As we come before it, I want to begin by saying it is easy to forget big things. It's easy to forget big things. Uh, Let me uh, explain what I mean. Uh, Earlier this week, I was telling... story from years ago with the family, an embarrassing one, and uh, one of my kids said, oh, you should tell that in a sermon, and I thought, no, no, uh, uh, and then as I was coming into this text this week, I realized, oh, maybe, (laughs) and uh, it was almost 30 years ago, it was in the mid-90s, I was serving a church in the Los Angeles area, And uh, to give you a picture of the geography, uh, the church I served uh, uh, butted up against a grocery store behind us. And then across the street from that grocery store was this uh, thing called a video rental store where you'd pick up tapes or DVDs to watch movies on. Some of you uh, may not know what that is. And then, uh, and then you go just a little bit farther down, maybe not even a block, and there was my apartment. And so I frequented walking between the church, the grocery store, the video store. It was a, a well-worn path to my apartment. Well, of course, on occasion, I would have my car with me uh, because I would go to visit parishioners or uh, other duties throughout the day. And so on one of those occasions, probably a Friday night, uh, I had taken my car home and stopped at the video rental store on the way home and uh, then afterwards uh, went home. I woke up the next morning to head out to uh, an event, walked to my parking spot where my car was uh, at the uh, apartment building that I was living in and the car wasn't there. I was sure someone had stolen it, Right. And I was pretty upset and trying to get my head around how am I going to get to this, where I'm going to go and, and all that I need to do. And then it hit me, I don't know how long it took, 
that, you know, I, I'd walked home again that night, but I had at some point on the time home had my car with me at one point. And I had left it uh, the night before at the video rental store. So I quickly walked over there, and sure enough, there it was. You see, it's easy uh, to forget big things, even a car. And when we do that, it's scary. When we do that, it can sometimes, as uh, some of you know, it's no joke when we forget things. Uh, Those who have family members walking through memory loss can be painful. And forgetting big things is what happened, uh, not only to me that day, but to the church in Galatia. They had forgotten the gospel that had been preached to them. I mean, how could they forget the apostle Paul himself had preached it to them? But they forgot. Unless you think that crazy, do you know who else forgot? Remember in chapter 2 when we walked through uh, that chapter of Galatians? The apostle Peter had forgotten. He'd forgotten the gospel and was falling into the trap of some of those who were preaching the law. If the church in Galatia can forget, if the apostle Peter can forget, then we can forget big things. And you say, oh, not me. I'm not going to forget the message of Galatians. I'm not going to forget the gospel Uh, Never me, Lord. Remember the Apostle Peter said something to that effect. I'll never deny you, Lord, right? And then what happened three times on the night in which he was arrested, our Lord was denied. We do forget. And we dare not say, not me. We've got to come to the Lord humbly. That we need to be reminded and to remember. As one Lutheran pastor put it, the centuries have changed, the labels have changed, but human nature has not changed. And what do we forget? We don't just misplace a car, we misplace the life that God has given us in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit instead of life by the flesh or the power of the law or doing it myself. By ourselves. Theologians in encountering this text in Galatians chapter 6 will call this a bit of a debate. A debate on how we should live. They write the indicative of the sociological reality versus the imperative of the Pauline ethic. And you say, what? Right? What they mean by that is this, and what we hear in the text is this. The indicative, the thing that has been declared, done for us by Christ, of our salvation, the reality of our salvation. Is that to be emphasized more or equal to or less than the imperative that we hear in chapter 6, the commands that God gives us through Paul of an ethic of how to live. And so 
Theologians will debate, is this a contradiction? And then we clearly know, because remember, there were no chapter headings when Paul wrote this letter, right? He wasn't writing, first I'll get through chapters four, and then when I get to chapter five, no, it was one letter that included the whole message. There is not a contradiction here. There is a paradox. To put it another way, when we ask the question, is it what I do or is it, what, is it what's been done? Now, friends, it's not that there aren't imperatives or commands. It's that we need to remember the whole letter here. And as we examine these commands today, we need to remember that these commands don't save us. Now, we can quickly get tongue-tied as we uh, consider this. Done or do. What do we do if it's already been done? I mean, you know, we can go there, but the, the point is this. It's life by the Spirit that points us back again and again to Jesus. And so as the Apostle Paul gets practical for the church then and in our church now, he gives us this ironic phrase. He says, the, after talking about not being saved through the law, he says, now follow the law of Christ, which moves us from the flesh to the spirit. And most will agree this law of Christ is a way of love. So let's look at it practically together. And along the way, even while we're looking at these practical imperatives, how easy it is to lose the car, to forget the gospel, to fall back into our old ways of the flesh, to try and save ourselves either through the law or by doing whatever we want instead of living by the Spirit. And spoiler alert, we can even take this law of Christ that looks like love and warp it into some new way of trying to save ourselves. And so we have to pay careful attention as we walk through this. And as one pastor will point out, these 10 verses that we've heard read for us today are all about relationships. Relationships with the First and foremost, we'll hear more about the relationship to the world later in the chapter, but these first 10 verses are about the relationship with the church. It begins with this word, as you heard read for us, brothers, right? Addressing Adelphi, which we already know because there were no chapter heads. We heard in chapter 3, though, uh, there's neither male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus. So another old English way of saying this could be brethren or for all brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to the church and how we live in relationship with one another in these 10 verses. The first two verses are delicate about God's people being burdened and how we're to deal with that, both their sin and the suffering. In verses 3 to 5, we find out how to deal with people that we are easily wanting to compare ourselves to. And how not to play the comparison game. And then in verse 6, our relationship with our teachers, our mentors, those teaching us the word. And then verses 7 and 8, that there's an organic nature to these relationships that we reap what we sow. And then finally, we're reminded to not lose heart 
with the household of faith in verses 9 and 10. Before we dive into those details, let's first begin by discussing that the Apostle Paul begins with an assumption here. That as we are a new creation in Christ, living by the Spirit, that we are actually brothers and sisters doing life together. And just as a, a car is not a car because it's parked in a garage, right? We aren't just fans of Jesus, we are followers and we do life together. And so he's assuming in that life together that we have significant, important relationships with one another. Now, we don't just live a few hundred yards away from each other in a small town in Capernaum or a small town in Galatia, uh, uh, where the church may have lived near each one another in Galatia. We have to drive often to get to church. And so we have to be more intentional today about nurturing and developing those relationships. Maybe you are unable to leave your home. And so maybe it's a time to call one of our Stephen ministers to come visit you or one of our pastors to stay connected. Or maybe it's time to get involved in a small group or a Bible study or a mission group to find ways to do life together. This is an assumption of what it means to be part of the body of Christ, to be in significant, deep relationship. And so, for example, as we now get to verse 1, and he reminds us to restore one another who have fallen into sin gently and with love, you don't do that with a bullhorn, right? Hey, I've been noticing uh, you over there, you've been sitting quite a lot, right? Yeah, I sit on this section over here, and I noticed over there that, no, that's not how it works. We need to be in deep, significant relationship to be able to help one another be restored. Because we do it with gentleness and love. And some of you will remember that word restore in Greek because we explored it when we were studying 1 Peter chapter 5 this last October. It literally means a bone, a broken bone out of place is being set into place. And so what are we doing when we're restoring a sister or a brother? We're pointing them to Christ. And we're resetting that bone and Restoring them how God had designed them to be and us to be. And we do that not as uh, lording over them because lest we might fall into sin in trying to restore them with pride. One pastor calls this tension invitation and challenge in the relationship with fellow members of the body of Christ, that we need both. Another pastor calls it the tension between truth and tears. It's complicated. Jesus did it much better than we, right? 
And as one scholar put it, Jeffrey Gibbs, we need to remember there is no greater than in the body of Christ. You are not greater than another member. I am not greater than another member of the body of Christ. Our Lord himself didn't count, as we read in Philippians, equality with God as something to be grasped, even though he is God. He lowered himself even to the cross so that we could be restored. Remember how the Apostle Paul restored the Apostle Peter, as we read. It wasn't by saying, hey, Peter, you're such a racist Uh, and such a terrible sinner that you would go back to these old Jewish isolation ways. No, what did he do? He reminded him of the gospel. And in reminding him of the gospel, it restored him to the truth. And their relationship was restored. And God was at work. And so we do this with humility Not as greater than, but as a fellow miserable sinner helping reset that bone. And you don't do it yourself. You're pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to the gospel. You don't replace in this restoration process Jesus with me, right? You don't become Jesus. And as we do that, we bear one another's burdens. It gets practical here, friends, because we bear with one another and it means we have skin in the game. As we love one another, we have time for each other. We share resources and money with one another. It sometimes may require sacrifice. And so God is at work with us as we bear these burdens for one another, as we understand one another in our suffering and we listen. Of course, when we're on the other side of that needing to be restored, it's not easy either, is it? Well, not me. I, I, uh, I think you mean someone else, right? Maybe you think restoration is not needed. Maybe you're here today well, wondering uh, about this whole business of Jesus and faith altogether. And you think this whole concept of absolute right and wrong by God's word is uh, unattainable. And yet, I think if we think about it, we all believe in the absolute right and wrong that we stake our lives on especially when we get into conversation with each other and find out what we are convicted about, what is right and wrong. Alistair McIntyre, one pastor, referenced him. He is a a philosopher and thinker, and his book, After Virtue, talked about this idea of goodness and, and truth. And he talks about how goodness is always based on design. It's grounded, as we'll hear in a couple of verses in some ways, organically. It doesn't mean you can't be a, a decent person as an atheist, but the why of the ground of the right and wrong, I contend to you today, is always grounded in what God has done in his design and making us in his image. Let me give you an example. 
Real simple one uh, that another pastor gave. that uh, When you look to your watch, you call it good if it always tells time. It's based on its design. It's not based on whether or not it can nail a hammer into a piece of, or nail a nail with, uh, like a hammer would into a piece of wood. Right? Its goodness is based on its design. Right and wrong are based on our design made by God himself. And so sin, one way of understanding it, is when we get away from good, when we are broken, that bone needs to be restored, needs to be set back in place, and we need a redeemer to restore us, and we need each other to remind us when we are out of place, and we need to do that with gentleness and love and understanding, and it has to be in relationship, not bullhorns. And so verses 2 and 3 remind us to be careful to understand that it's easy to lose the car. It's easy to lose big things. It's easy to go back into the way of judgment and flesh and walk by legalism or walk by doing whatever I want to do. And so things get out of place. Good things in our lives that God created with good design like sex or career or generosity or family, and when they get out of alignment, when they are broken, out of the way that God designed, it leads not to life, but to death. And so we need each other to read the word together and hear this truth. And it's complicated, and it's hard, and it involves relationship. And yes, along the way, as the Apostle Paul will mark later in this chapter, as he says he bears the marks of Christ, following Jesus will involve difficulty and suffering. Following Jesus, if anyone tells you otherwise, then they're trying to lead you down a false path. Because we bear one another's burdens, if nothing else. And so we learn how to bear them in Christ and endure them with the hope of the resurrection. And we don't do that as a comparison game. In fact, the word uh, that is used in Greek to think more highly of yourself than you ought, as Ronald Fung will point out, a scholar, has a literal reference that leads to grief and being led astray in the first century Greek. And so, this is not a comparison game. This is a restoration by our Savior that we do with one another. And as Luther will point out when you get to verse 6 and how that relates uh, to those who are teaching us the word, uh, he always felt uncomfortable with this. He talked about not being happy with how the church were building edifices and not taking care of people. And now... uh, Years later, coming back to this text, realizing, oh, well, we do need to take care of our pastors. Those are leaving the ministry, or we need to take care of the ministries. But this word in chapter 6, as others will point out, uh, while it talks about financial generosity, it means a lot more than that as well. It means bearing burden with our time. Do we have time for each other? 
and our talents? Do we share those with one another? Are we in an attitude of carrying the load? And this has a very real, organic, as I've said, reality in verses 7 and 8. We reap what we sow. This is not a return to the way of the flesh to save yourself. This is the sowing of the fruit of the Spirit. Or, as one scholar put it, the Spirit is a gift from God, and to walk by the Spirit signifies our acceptance of the power of God, which is not under our control, which is now to shape our life, the Spirit, that is, instead of our own power. And when we live like that, as we heard last week, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, yes, faith. Otherwise, God, as we hear in this text, will be mocked, or as that verb literally means, to turn our nose up to him and treat him with contempt. And as one author put it, uh, we're dealing with fire then when we reap what we sow. God is inviting us into a life together that's about what he has declared, the forgiveness that he gives. And then with this indicative, he has imperatives for how we live in walk in the spirit. And so he says in verses nine and 10, for the household of faith, don't lose heart. Let me give you an example. If on that day that I was at that a video rental store, if I had been there with just one other person, when we walked out the door, you'd think they would have said to me, didn't we come in a car, right? We need to be reminded. We need each other in the household of faith. And so he says to us, don't lose heart. We need each other. So let's not confuse the law and the gospel then as we cheer each other on or the indicative or the imperative as competition. They're paradoxical but not contradicting. The do or the done, what Christ has done. And let's not forget where this good news of the gospel has been given, where the car is parked and quickly trying to go as we heard in chapter one to some other gospel as if one existed because it doesn't. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. We walk by the Spirit, or as the Apostle Paul will say later in this chapter, far be it for me to boast in anything except in the cross of Christ. For friends, we are indeed, all those in Christ Jesus, heirs according to his promise. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son to redeem us, to put that bone back in place, to restore us, to live according to his spirit, to walk in the spirit. We do that, and may we do that together. Amen.